That's just the way it is Some things will never change That's just the way it is How oh, but don't you believe it Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are here on People Have the Power, where this week, really fun conversation and really honored to be joined by the great Bruce Hornsby to talk about his protest songs from the likes of Marvin Gaye, Tupac, and much more. Also talk about his most recent album, Technology, and a lot of other stuff. So hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Thanks. It's funny for me, just as a fan... I was very excited with Anything Can Happen. Now, is that by chance, do you know, is that the last recorded work that Leon Russell did? Oh, no, no. That, uh, that would be, that would mark the last Leon uh, <laughs> Russell, I was about to say, the last Leon Russell uh, record that was on a major label. Okay, if that, if that has any meaning, uh, any worth as a factoid, that's, that's, that's almost certainly true. Although in his last years, he was making uh, an orchestral record with Tommy LaPuma. And I guess they had high hopes for it, and they could not sell it to a label. So, yes, I think that, so that's true. But he continued to make records on his own that he would sell on his gigs. In fact, I played on one of them several years, maybe eight to ten years or so, maybe longer after Anything Can Happen, which was 92. Uh, he did a version of uh, the old Ray Charles classic that lucky old son a great song and uh and so yes that would so that but it would definitely not the last recorded uh leon russell uh, record the last record of his because he made him made his own his own records four years after that got it okay but so i can tell you the story if you'd like i can tell you the story if you'd like if anything can happen it's quite it's quite funny actually well, there's, there's a little humor in it if you'd like but you, yeah, you, sound like you, had, you sound like you had a question there, so go ahead. Okay, I didn't realize that it was... Okay, you're going to have to excuse my ignorance. I did not realize that it was an older song, so that's my fault, yes. Okay, that's a song that I wrote with Leon. I got him a, a deal. He, uh, okay, Rolling Stone magazine reached out to me in 1988 and said they were doing a, 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 a pictorial essay, photo essay called Musicians and Their Mentors. So they asked me to be a part of it, and they asked me who I would pick. So I said Elton, because Elton and I were friends at that time. I would, had sat in with him a couple times at Madison Square Garden. He was just a, a real supporter of my music. I'd met Leon once, but I didn't know him well. Uh, he, but he, they, they told me, well, no, Elton has been, so, been picked already, so pick another one. So I said Leon. And uh, so they reached out to him, and he was all for it. So on Rolling Stone's dime... They flew me out to his house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, about 30, 40 miles from Nashville. And we got to know each other for two days on Rolling Stone's dime while they took pictures of us. We became friends. And uh, at, at, when that was over, the end of that session, two-day session, I said to him, hey, Leon, if you'd like to try to get back into this crazy game, uh, I don't know if I can help you, but I, I would try my damnedest if you want me to, to try to get you something so he said, okay, well, I'll think about it. And that was, say, July, August of the summer of 88. And then that Christmas, I, but the Christmas Eve, about midnight, I get this call. I'm wondering, who the hell is calling me now? But, and it was Leon saying, well, I'd like to take you up on that offer. So a couple of months later, 
I was kind of mostly back in Virginia at that time, but I, I was out in LA and, uh, okay, long story short, I, I got him a deal at Virgin, Jeff Aroff and Jordan Harris. And, uh, so then I started riding around with him on his bus when he would do, he did this one little tour of the Northeast, just playing solo or playing with his bass player, Jackie Wessel. And, uh, we would fool around in the bus all night with little keyboards and got a little start, some starts for the record. And then I went to Hendersonville after that. And, uh, I would be there, say, three or three or four days a month for about the next eight or nine months. First session, he looked at me and he said, hey, Bruce, write me a Barry White track. So I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is an interesting uh, assignment. Barry White, let's see, he likes minor ninth chords, sort of the chords you hear in lounge lounges around the country. And I played my fair share of them So uh, in what we call the bad old days. Anyway put together this track with a bunch of minor ninth chords and maybe a little bit of a gospel flavor in the chorus. And he thought it was okay enough to want to, to continue. And I, he gave me a lyric, a lyric book, a big red notebook full of lyrics he'd written. He said, pick me one to sing. That was another odd assignment, but I, okay. I tried to do that and gave him this thing, this lyric sheet. And he, he listened to the song three times. He kept asked the engineer to play my track and he just sort of ruminated on the words while listening to the track and then said, okay, set, give me a microphone. Cause he would just sit in a chair all day and he'd bring things to him. Uh, so he, he did this and proceeded to just crush this thing. We just couldn't believe how fantastic this was. His first take of this song that was called anything can happen. So that became the title track of the record we put a little rough mix down at the end of that day and that became i guess that that i that's what i played say to the record company when i went to see them later on uh anyway i never i felt we didn't really capture the song well enough on the record i thought we kind of as we say we missed that one even though it was the title track and so for years because of that i've wanted to re-record the song i had this great demo or, or rough mix uh, and, but I wanted to re-record it, so I finally got around to it this time. So it's an old Leon and Bruce song, and re, uh, recut, re-recorded, with a little bit of Leon's vocal ghosting for the first two-thirds of the song under mine, and then he comes out, and you hear him sing with me in a harmony. And so that's how it happened uh, from, from the assignment, from the command or the request, write me a Barry White track. This is our Barry White track. Well, you know what's so funny about that? You say that, you know, you never, even though it was the title track, you didn't feel like you got it exactly right. You know, but I mean, come on, isn't that every artist? Isn't every artist is, you know, so it's nice that you got the chance to go back and re-record it. And I'm sure that, you know, you know Don Henley very well. So I always use this as an example, but I interviewed Don and we discussed the fact that for him, right, when he hears you know, um, Desperado, as much as other people love that song, he was telling me, he's like, I hate to admit this out loud, but for me, he's like, I was 24 when I recorded that song. And all I hear is I wish we could do the drums again. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone has their regrets or if you don't have regrets as a, as a recording artist, uh, with a career of any length, then you, that's, that's a rare, that's an amazing feat, amazing accomplishment, just showing either incredibly deft studio skills 
or someone who <laughs> sets a low bar because <laughs> I, I have so many re- regrets in my career of, oh my God, that singer, I'm not speaking of myself. I'm not a fan of him, <laughs> of his, uh, uh, yeah, uh, for instance. I mean, so right. So Don's story is not atypical at all. And so that's how I felt about this record. It, look, it was really dry and kind of edgy sounding and just kind of dressed up, got dressed up and reverbed out and slicked up a little bit. And, uh, and so that was a regret. But now, look, so I, got to, I, I got a redo here and no one knows the song. Virtually no one knows it. Almost no one knows it. So that's, uh, that's just fine. I'm happy with what we did. This, this, I don't think I'll have regrets about this version. It's early on, but I don't think that'll happen. Well, it's so funny too. Do you feel like because you were such a fan of Leon and he was a hero that, you know, it was also, you were maybe more uh, hypercritical because, you know, you basically just can't, like, again, you obviously when you're working with it, you want to make it perfect. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily about perfect. I have a lot, some of my favorite records of mine and favorite records of other people's are, are hardly perfect. You hear out of tune singing and sometimes the groove gets a little suspect, but it just has a certain intangible feeling. Uh, the original record, trying to make it perfect, uh, it's hard. It's, it's, it's not, it's boring to discuss it because then you get into sort of studio trickery and, and just taste in production. And that's kind of dull, I think, other than the small coterie of geeks who, who are really involved in all that. Right. Cool. Let's, we'll kind of veer back and forth because, you know, one of the things I like about the podcast is talking about how it ties in with, you know, the, um, the, you know, basically your own music. So let's go with your first, you know, choice, which was, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Well, right, right. That was it. the The order of my list is a little odd. Because just what came to if what came to mind in in the order of how my mind worked that at that moment. Uh, what's going on? Look, I, I I can say this about it. It's had a a beautiful new life right now in Spike Lee's latest movie. The Five Bloods, it's on Netflix. Somehow, Spike was able to procure the, the original solo vocal track of Marvin Gaye on, from What's Going On. And in a very pivotal, crucial moment in the movie, the soundtrack is just this a cappella Marvin Gaye singing that song. And it's so chilly because... Yeah, I get chills thinking about it as I'm talking to you about it because as I'm describing it because this is a, a vocal that we all know so well because this was such a massive uh, song and it's it was just ubiquitous and probably still is on certain radio stations. Uh, so you hear this vocal that you know so well, but you hear it just naked with no no backing, no, no backup track and. It's just an awesome, uh, just a beautiful moment in that movie. So here's to Spike. But yeah, originally I was in school, I guess late high school when that came out. And look, originally I think the song, it just has that sort of very sort of mellow, feel good sound to it. He's such a soulful singer. And so I think everyone in the world connected to that aspect. But then you dig a little deeper and you realize that Marvin's talking about real stuff here, real real issues in American life and, and, and around the world. So uh, 
it really moved me then. And of course, it, it always will. It's a timeless tra- timeless record and timeless song. So yeah, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Pro- probably of all these songs, probably the most, maybe the most popular, maybe the most well-known of the songs that I picked. Well, you know, and it's also just a song. It's funny because you mentioned the Spike Lee film and that's it has a new life because of that. But the reality is, is that it's, you know, a song that, that you know, especially with all that's happened in 2020, remains so relevant. And I mean, it's crazy. You know, this song has been picked a couple times and the first time someone chose it, I went back and looked at it and it's mind blowing to me that this song is going to be 50 um, next May. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's, it's, it's ever, ever, ever timely and timeless for that reason. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and again, one of the things I, I like to do is sort of tie it in with, you know, the artist's own work. So, I mean, when you go back and look at your work through the years or even more recently, do you see or feel an influence? And, you know, especially because like you say, the song came out when you were in high school. So, you know, music that came out at that time has a tendency to stick with you so much. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The the, the music that moved you when you were young, uh, mostly it will resonate with you for the rest of your life. Some things don't age well necessarily, but, but most, most things do. And in my, my, uh, uh, my life it has it has uh, most things have stayed with me stayed relevant uh in my, my career well it's easily said i've written uh, my first record was called the way it is that was the sing that was the song that broke us and that's a protest song very clearly and uh, uh so my most well-known song of my career is a protest song i didn't pick that here but i think uh, as you see i picked some tangential offering some some songs that have have used the song in their own ways uh and now uh, i'm on my 22nd record there's a protest song on this too and uh and this was obviously all done before the the, the terrible george floyd murder and the subsequent amazing response to that uh horrified response uh i call this a bull connor moment this George Floyd tragedy back in 64, as a whole lot of people know, uh, Bull Connor was the police chief, Birmingham, Alabama police force. And, uh, he was well known for putting the hoses on the protesters in the city. Uh, and this footage, this awful footage of, of this, this, uh, this this act of Bull Connors was filmed and then went viral in the in, in the in the nineteen sixty the only way in nineteen sixty four that something could go quote unquote viral all of the majors all three of the major stations ABC NBC CBS on their evening news showed this film and this shocked and horrified the nation most of whom most of which were, were not uh, were not aware of what was going on in the South in the civil rights movement during the civil rights uh, days, the movement days. So, uh, so th- that, that changed the consciousness in America, that Bull Connor moment. And so subsequently later that year, LBJ and, and the Congress was able to pass the civil rights act of 1964 that I referenced in my song in the third verse of the way it is, for instance, uh, so just like that, we have this viral moment of this horrific act, and everyone in the world sees it instantly. 
way different from 64. Uh, and so the same thing happened. This just galvanized public opinion and, and everyone just realized, damn it, we have to really deal with this. This is just a problem that, that never abates. It's been going on forever. And so, so it's very much like that. And hopefully something will happen of the magnitude of the Civil Rights Act of 64. We'll see. But uh, it's, it's been an amazing time. And so my song, Bright Star Cast, I wrote it last year. I guess it's another of my attempts at writing a civil rights anthem. I guess you could say I got the great Jamila Woods to sing with me, Chicago singer, songwriter, poet. And Vernon Reed plays guitar. And uh, some of my Eau Claire friends from the Bon Iver uh, crowd, uh, uh, they played on the record. So uh, that's, that turns out from, so from the way it is on my first record to Bright Star Cast on my 22nd record, I've written, I think Bright Star Cast is my seventh song dealing with race in America on some level. And I, so it's never been far from from my mind and and uh i've always been passionate about it and so i've continued to write about it not not for a while but so this is the first one in a while well now it's so interesting because you know there's a literary train of thought that um yeah i was an english major and the literary train of thought is that you know all writers are continuing to you know sort of revisit the same theme and just trying to get it right so it's interesting for you that this is you know bright starcast is your seventh song as you say about race do you feel that it is something you are, have you, do you feel like your versions of it have morphed or is it something that you're continually trying to sort of, um, I guess, yeah, just get right? <laughs> well, usually I've been, uh, been inspired by some specific act that deals with race. Uh, okay, the, the, second, the, the, the second time, Second song was a song on my third record, the last range record called Fire on the Cross. And there I'd been, I'd become involved with the Southern Poverty Law Center that takes, it's been for, for many years, taken legal action against hate groups and put a lot of them out of business. So it's, it's an amazing group. They live under constant death threats. Their, their, their uh, office in Montgomery is guarded around the clock. You, you can't go into that office until you get clearance. Uh, and there, so some, some things that were going on uh, with the white supremacist, uh, white supremacists in America just inspired me to write that song. Uh, and so Fire on the Cross was, was the next one. The one after that is called Talk of the Town, which was about a fir the first interracial romance in my town and all the consternation it caused, caused with the local white conservative uh, power structure here in Williamsburg. So uh, again, that, that, was, that was something it, it sort of based on a, an, an old uh, situation that I grew up uh, around. Then a song, See the Same Way, on my sixth record, Spirit Trail. That was a song inspired by the incredible disparate reactions, polar opposite reactions to the O.J. Simpson verdict. This song is called, yeah, see the same way. You, uh, you're looking at the picture, at a picture. I'm looking at it too. Do you see what I see today? Let's talk about the difference. Find out what's in the way. Open our eyes. See the same, see the same way. So again, inspired by something that was going on 
right at that time in the mid to late nineties. Uh, and I could keep going on, but, but that, it, it, that, so basically each song came from something fairly specific that had happened <clears throat> in my life or that I, that I was observing. A lot of my songs are sort of observational. I, I'm telling a story. I love old folk music. So I'm influenced by the old storytelling tradition in, in that music, traditional music. And I sometimes like to do, like to try to perform my version of that. Interesting. Now, now, as, far as, now as, as far as addressing your, your thing about, uh, your uh, idea about, well, someone writes about the same thing, same thing for, for through their life and keeps trying to deal with it. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that's what you were saying. Maybe that's not. But, but in my yeah. case... I, I, in my case, I'm I'm not that guy. I'm always looking for new material, and this record is a perfect example of it. This the, the uh, I'm looking to reflect the times in which I live, and so this new record has a song about a computer hacker. That's the title song, "Non Secure Connection," and uh, and and on and on. Uh, the, the the first song on the record is a song about the the positives and negatives of the drone culture that we, that it pervades our world now with a little apocalyptic biblical prophecy thrown in there for, uh, I don't know, for maybe a little controversy, but, uh, and so there, there's, it's, I'm always looking for, for that to, again, write about what's interesting to, interesting to me. It takes me pretty far afield. There's a song on the record called porn hour, which is, a song about uh, innovation in the early days of the internet uh, with, some, with some crazy avant-garde Olivier Messiaen, French forest uh, bird music, musique d'oiseau in there. So, but I'm kind of rambling here, so I'll stop. And you, 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 you're not really getting much of a word in here. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. All right, so let's move on to the, your second song. And it's funny because, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, you say you look for stuff that's relevant and you tie in with like drone stuff, for example, and, you know, hacker stuff. But it's funny because that still ties in with like, you know, the times they are changing, for example, right? <clears throat> well, obviously, and they always, that's right. That's, there's one thing is constant and that's changed. And uh, yeah, the times are changing. Look, it has a, and a lot of those earlier folky Bob Dylan songs, they have a certain regal quality to them. I don't, I can't describe them any more than that. They just, they just stand up on their own. And uh, I, I love the waltz feeling of the times they are changing. All, all the illusions. Uh, a Hard Rain's Gonna Fall is another one I could have picked from that, from that time. And, and probably the, the standard uh, Dylan protest song pick would be Blown in the Wind, which is also amazing. I just picked Hard Rain's Gonna Fall because something about it, just, uh, just the, the, that, that acoustic folk guitar strumming it just has like i say it's just a very powerful regal sound to it and i'm just i just love it well and it's interesting i mean you know again when you look at a song like that that has endured for you know 50 something actually going on almost 60 years now yeah i mean which is crazy you know yeah. talk about when you hear you know a song like that and that resonance and how it just lasts and you know, how when you then turn around and are writing topical stuff and, you know, because obviously what's interesting is that, you know, these songs, you know, the idea of change is constant, but the issues that Dylan was dealing with, you know, in the 60s 
there was no uh, drones. There was no computer hackers. There was no, well, porn hour was a very different meaning. Yeah, porn hour is a very different idea. It's, it's, it's almost more sort of, I don't know, there's a bit of levity there. I write so- songs with my, uh, quite often with my, my kindergarten friend, Chip DiMatteo, and he's quite clever, and he, he writes funny words sometimes, and, and that's what those verses are, are DiMatteo's contribution, and they, uh, I, I like them. <laughs> I, <laughs> but anyway, right, uh, no cell phones back then. But luckily, luckily for us, there were TV cameras uh, capturing. I'm not sure if they captured the Selma March. I'm not sure they captured the the, the Memphis uh, garbage workers strikes. I'm not sure. Obviously, I think the Watt the, the Watts riots a little bit were were captured, but certainly this Birmingham, Alabama moment was captured and had a, an amazing effect on our, on our, on our country. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny that ties in very nicely with your third song, which is the change is going to come, which, you know, from that right from that time, 63, 64. Uh, yeah. Look, Sam cook. If you come to our concerts for the past 20 to 25 years, we've been playing the same pre-show music and it's Sam cook and the soul stirrers, those fantastic gospel records from the early mid fifties and uh, before he went secular, you know, quote unquote. Uh, but, uh, but this song he wrote was singular. It just, Hey, I think he was very moved by what was happening in the South and around the country. He was very moved by uh, the Martin Luther King nonviolence movement. And I think he was just moved enough to write this amazing song. I, I was not aware of this song. I came late to the Sam Cooke uh, program, Sam, uh, Sam Cooke oeuvre, because uh, I got into it in the early 90s. For some, I don't know what made me get into it, but I, I just bought, bought, oh, one thing, I was on RCA Records, and Sam Cooke recorded for RCA Records, so I think I went into their vaults one time. They said, hey, go in there and just raid the archives. And So I went crazy with the... Uh, uh, Spam Cook at live at the Harlem Square Club and, uh, and et cetera, and his greatest hits. And so I'm listening to all these great old pop records of his, and then all of a sudden this thing comes on, and it's just a completely deeper level of gravitas uh, than the rest of it. Uh, I, and it just floored me. And of course, and his vocal is just amazing. To me, it's one of those songs that I think there are probably only about 10, or 10 to 20 singers in the world that have the right to sing it. (laughs) Uh, Those are the the amazing phone book singers in in our lives and we could probably name them, but uh, look, it's just a transcendent record and it's, 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 it's it's totally timeless and it moved me so much. I've never sung it because I'm not a good enough singer to sing it, but I've sing it around my house and, and just, I'm just mad for it. So uh, it wasn't a, it didn't have a effect say like what's going on. Did, but uh, or or hard rain's going to fall for that matter. Uh, but uh, for the people that know it, it's incredibly meaningful, and, and that's another timeless song. It is. Now I'm so curious. I'll put you on the spot. Who are you know? We're not going to go through all ten or twenty of them, but two or three people that you know that you think of who have the voice to to do it. You know that just as the phone book singers. Well, yeah, a lot of some of them are not here anymore. Uh, 
you know, instantly who comes to mind is Aretha Franklin or, or Marvin Gaye or Al Green. Uh, and so those, those are some, but, but they're, oh, Al, is, Al, is Al Green still with us? I'm not yes. even sure. Yes. Okay, so Al Green, yeah. So he's, he's certainly one of them. <clears throat> so you just mine the R&B world and you'll get 10 or 20. Uh, otherwise, Bonnie Raitt. My my big sister in music, I think she's one of the fun book singers and could would would really crush that if she wanted to. Uh, Beyonce is is another uh, fun book singer. So that, that that's a few uh, to name ten or twenty. That uh, I'd have to maybe sit here and ruminate a little bit and send you the list afterwards. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, one person you did not name, though, that I would put on that list is, you know, when you think of phone book singers, I got to go Van Morrison, who is still with us, too. Yeah, Van Morrison. Okay. Well, sure. uh, Well, if you go to Van Morrison, you could have said Levon Helm, you know, uh, in in that way. Just great character singers, amazing, uh, totally unique sounds and phrasing. Um, so there's, 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 there's a ton of Steve Winwood, you know, you could go to Steve Winwood. If you say Van Morrison, Steve Winwood too, because what a singer. And what yeah. A, what a, what a, so, of course it all so comes down to taste, but yeah, you know, all right. So there, there's, there's a few, but I agree with you. It's those, those iconic voices. I love the fact, by the way, though, too, it's really funny. Cause you know, I mentioned earlier the idea of the recurring theme of literature and, and the idea of, of, you know, that I mentioned of people writing the same theme and, and trying to perfect it is actually, again, I was an English major. So that's a theme that comes from school. But it's funny because now you look through this in a written list and you have the times they're changing, a change is going to come. And your next one is Tupac changes. And it's funny how, you know, you have that even in, in your choice and taste, you have the recurring theme of change, you know, and, and protest songs doing the show. One thing I found is Man, it evolves for, it, it covers such a wide range of stuff for so many different people. So I love that you kind of look at, you know, it as change, progress. So what is it that made these Tupac changes? Well, can I back up and name one more name who I think is in, in the phone book, Pantheon, who is sure. a, modern, a modern day artist, is Justin Vernon. I think he's one of the truly great singers. He's a freak, frankly. He's a savant. Uh, if you just hear him sing in a room, the air the air changes when he opens his mouth. It's just stunning. And if you hear him live, you get the same goosebump, chilling feeling. So I'm going to throw Justin into that uh, <laughs> admittedly small list that I came up with on the spot. Okay, so <clears throat> so you're t- okay. So Tupac changes. Well, of course, yeah. I have a, a fond affection for that song for personal reasons, obviously. You know, he, that song is my song. That song is, is, is the way it is uh, with, uh, with, just, with, with new words. And, uh, but, but I love the lyrics. And, um, it was such a positive message, such a soulful message. And, and now it's, it's achieved this, again, this pantheon status where I've been sent several videos from around the country and around the world, one of the most beautiful ones came from New Zealand, where there are these uh, these protests in the street protests, and Tupac's Changes is playing, and h- hundreds of people are singing along. They know every word. So again, I get chills just thinking about having looked at that recent, having seen that recently. We posted it on one of our social media outlets, or uh, and. and uh, so yeah, uh, 
I think I think Tupac's changes will is timeless as well. I think that will go down as one of the great protest songs, and there have been a whole lot coming out of the hip hop and rap world. Um, so so many, as you know, I have one other from the the rap world that I think is not next, but one after that. So yes, so yes, Tupac's changes, man. I, I couldn't be more mad for it. Uh, uh, a cassette showed up in the mail back in the cassette, the waning days of the cassette era. Got this cassette from the Shakur Foundation. It was about a year after Tupac had been assassinated. And uh, it was a, a way dirtier version of this song that they had found going through his voluminous archives. It was way, like I said, way dirtier. It had a lot, a lot of the N-word, which they, 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 they took that out of there when they put it out. Uh, but they they got in touch with me saying, "Look, this is we found this. It's a it's very special, and we wanted you to know about this, and also to uh, always wanted to discuss with you the publishing splits." So we had a nice back and forth about that, and it, it just kept on going the way it has been recorded so many times by rap artists, hip hop artists, and uh, so it's a, it's 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 a, something I'm, I'm proud of. It's so funny. Was there one version early on, or I don't know if change is the first one, where, you know, because look, it's an interesting thing, right? I talk about this with artists all the time. It's like, you know, when you do a cover or when someone covers your work, you hear it in a different way. You're getting to hear what a great artist brings to your work. So as you heard the way it is taken in by so many different hip hop artists, did the song change for you or did you hear new things in it that you appreciated? And then trying no, to contemporary no, stuff. I, I, I didn't really hear new things in my song, but I was just appreciative that they that they heard something that they could work with on, uh, in the song. Uh, e forty. Oh, the first the first one, the first one I was aware of was a British rapper named MC Busby in nineteen ninety one, uh, and uh, then E forty, the rapper from the Bay Area, I believe, yeah. did, uh, did, did a version. And yes, Oakland. Uh-huh. So he did a version. Mace did a version. Uh, Snoop Dogg did one later. It's been done a lot. But uh, no, it doesn't make me hear my song differently, but, but it makes me just proud that it has uh, a, a different life, a, a more broad-based life uh, when, because it's been used so much. Akon, about just three or four or five years ago, did what I thought was a great version of it too, called I think Things Change. So it's, it's never ended. And, and now, all right, that may bring us to my next one. I don't have the list in front of me, but is, what's the, who's the next one? It's actually wishing for a hero way it is, Polo G. Polo G, right. Okay, well, that's the latest version. And I think it's so good. Again, it's a little selfish of me, I guess, to put this on there because it's, it's, it's another way it is version. But it's pretty much brand new. It came out a couple of months ago. And uh, I just loved it. I got, we, we, we reached out. Polo G reached out to us and asked if he could fly. He's a he's a 21 year old rapper from Chicago, and he reached out to me asking if he could fly to Virginia to ask my permission to do this. But he'd also sent the track, and I thought it was just really great. And so I got back to him saying, "Hey, save your time, save your save your money. I, I'm I love it. So you, you got my permission. You don't have to bother with coming here." And so, yeah, wishing for a hero. It, the video is beautiful. They have this great gospel choir sing, coming in singing. It's it's chilling as well, like a lot of, like a lot of this music is. And so 
Yeah, it's it, it's another. It's it's been okay. So my record came out in '86, and then Tupac's in '98, and and now in 2000. Uh, so 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 it, it, it there now been sort of three generations of the way it is, uh, in, including now Polo G's wishing for a hero. So <clears throat> it's just it's just great. It, it's it's really. It, it, I think it's an homage to cha- to Tupac's changes. I think that's what he feels that it is. It's an update, basically saying that th- the ch- changes have not happened the way they should have. And uh, so, yes, that's a, a sad fact. And hopefully this time, this uh, charged time that we're in, will change all that. will change the lack of change. It's so interesting. I mean, you know, that again, because that's one of the things about these is like these timeless songs, you know, and it's funny. Do you find them when you look at, at songs you've written based on real events that have happened at the time? Because like say you actually go, you know, when you're writing songs about race, you're looking at the times they're happening, you know, yeah. but at the same time, you know, unfortunately so many of these issues, and this has been a recurring theme in this is that, you know, it would be really nice if we could just appreciate these songs for their musical value and how great they are. Versus having them still be so fucking relevant in 2020. Well, I think people appreciate the music, uh, the music content of these songs because it's there's some there's some depth there. But uh, yeah, it is very sad that my song from '86 is still really relevant, and uh, and that well, forget my song that uh, Sam Cooke's uh, "Change Is Gonna Come" from '64, I believe, is. Uh, is so relevant as is uh, hard rain's going to fall. I guess change occurs glacially and uh, sometimes it moves a little quicker. Uh, but, but as, as King said, what is it? The, uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I sure hope that's true. It feels like it's basically true because I do think we've made some progress, but, but clearly not nearly enough. Well, you know, I mean, look, it's funny because, I mean, it's, it's not funny, but the very first song that anybody shows for the show is I had the Indigo Girls on, you know, and they picked uh, We Shall Overcome, which is a song that's nearly 100 years old and people are still singing that in protest, you know? Yeah, well, that's a fantastic choice. Yes, absolutely it is. It's a, I think it's an old, a spirit, old spiritual, old gospel song. And uh, you could probably pick, I think you picked Strange Fruit from Billie Holiday. It's another uh very moving. Oh, yeah. So there, yeah, there's, there, there's so many. Again, you could just go into the, the hip hop world and find 50 great ones. Absolutely. And you wrapped up with a hip hop one, which is Public Enemy, Fight the Power. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, back into the Spike Lee world. I first knew about this from Spike's, uh, Spike's great film, seminal film, Do the Right Thing. And that's a very powerful record. As, and and it's it just seems like it's timeless as well, and it's it, it's uh, it was placed in a timeless movie, and I think it would be timeless probably without its placement in in do the right things. But uh, yeah, just 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 love it. But so yes, I, I I guess maybe I picked six things there, and three of them come from from the hip hop world, and uh, but it, but it makes sense. But I like the Indigo Girls. Uh, we shall overcome. I'd like to know some other. I'd like to see a list of other people's uh, uh, choices. Well, you know, it's funny. It hasn't veered that much towards hip hop, but we just did the chicks before this, and uh, one of them did choose um, Kendrick. 
I'm sorry. Said, well, one of them did choose Kendrick Lamar, but it's funny. They couldn't pick one song. So they just chose like, you know, basically just oh, his, all Kendrick stuff. Yeah. His whole body of work is, is one pick. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, look, I'm not up on Kendrick Lamar like I should be. So I've, I need to deal with it more intensely. Um, so, so you're saying that my, my, my list has, is one of the few that's dealt with, that's, that's chosen hip hop um, songs in it. Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, like, there are a few people who've chosen hip-hop, but yours probably has more hip-hop than most. But, okay. you know, it's interesting, tying in with your contemporary music. You know, it's funny, I mean, for you then, right, for all these people who cover your song in hip-hop, and, you know, and obviously you work with a lot of collaborators on this record, you know, is there one hip-hop artist who would be the dream artist for you to work with? Ah, it's so funny. Uh, you're saying that makes me think, back to a time a couple of years ago I was in Eau Claire working with Justin Vernon and his merry band of musical killers out there and uh, and I play, I was playing him some tracks some some, uh, some some pieces that I'd written for Spike Lee film uh, film scores and and that I, that I thought were uh, needed to be turned into songs expanded into to full songs with words and I played him this one and it really, he, he really started reacting to it. And he said to his engineer, Chris Messina, great engineer, Chris, he said, I got to send this one to Chance because I think Justin and Chance, the rapper, work together now and then. So I thought, oh, wow, that's crazy. I don't hear that, but, but what do I know? As I said to myself, it turns out he just took the song and wrote, it, wrote, wrote, wrote over it for his own record, and so it became the song Man Like You on the last Bon Iver record, I, I. So, uh, so I don't know. That's, that's the closest I've ever come to Chance the Rapper. Let me see if I can think of someone. Well, there's an incredible singer out of Chicago named BJ the Chicago Kid. Yeah. And, and he's just sick in, in, the, in the greatest way. Uh, so that, that, that's the guy who comes to mind. That's 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 one person I could rack my brain and think of others, but uh, I think I think I'll stop with BJ, the Chicago kid. He's a bad bad man. So it's interesting because you know we'll wrap up on on you know non secure collection, and you know it's funny by the way. I love that title because you know one of the things I was talking about with the chicks was the the you know sort of the metaphor double entendre stuff being open to interpretation, and as you say, it's yeah. really about hacking and all this. But you yes. know, non secure connection also seems to be a very relevant title for a world where people are so socially uh, off in 2020. It feels yes. to be a very, very, you know, much a, a reflection too on the fact that, you know, unfortunately people are losing a lot of social skills based on technology. Well, look, I titled the, re I titled the record Not Secure Connection. Well, one reason I titled it is because I wanted to draw attention to one of the weirdest tracks on the record because I like the weird, but... Uh, but mostly I titled it Not Secure Connection because I think it gave an overall sense. It, 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 it sort of described the world uh, that we're living in now. And uh, so the anxiety, the just uh, insecurity of it all, the sort of existential uh, issues that we're dealing with. So, yeah, Not Secure Connection just felt like it was... Uh, you know, of the, of the, of the times of the era. So I'm glad. So, you, so yeah, you noticed that's, ex you noticed it. I appreciate that because that's exactly why I named it. Cool. Well, for this record, it's funny. I mean, for you, as you look at, you know, Oh, the reason I thought of the title was, you know, 
non-secure connection, right? When you think about the fact that maybe someday, you know, in the hopefully not too distant future, you'll actually get to tour again and play yeah. and come out on stage to, you know, Sam Cooke and the Soulsters music. Are there yeah. particular tracks from this record that you are most excited to bring to the stage and see how people respond to them? And, you know, kind of a two-part question. I mean, obviously you work with a lot of collaborators on this. Would there be a chance of doing sort of like a one-off show where you can bring the collaborators together. I imagine it would be very difficult to get like James Mercer and Bergman and everybody the same place at the same time for more than one show. Yeah, you took the name out of my mouth. I was, uh, you you asked what, uh, the the song that I'm most most excited to play live is the song My Resolve, which is the duet with James Mercer. And we've already talked about hopefully being able to do it live together sometimes. I'm pretty certain if we go to Portland, Oregon, where James lives and he's around, then that will, that would definitely happen. I'm talking to James in a couple of days. We're doing some, some conversation, recorded conversation together. I, I didn't know him before this, but I was always a Shins fan. And I wrote this song that had this angular melodic line and that was inspired by the Shins. And I thought, well, I'd really like to sing this with, with somebody else since I've kind of, been, I've been inspired by by him on this song. I'll reach out to him, who I've never met, and it worked out great. He got back. He liked the song and and just did his James Mercer thing on it in a beautiful way. And uh, so that that's a song I'm really looking forward to playing live. Oh, let's see, going through the record in my I think the last song on the record, No Limits, will be fun, up tempo and kind of jamming. And uh, so that'll be that'll be fun. A, a bright star cast. Has a is a is a has a, a, a groove is a serious groove song and that'll be another one. I'm also looking forward to to playing. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there's Good your boy. version of the phone. That's that's the, the, the canine. You know phone. what's amazing? He usually barks in every interview. He's made it through two today. He got to the end of this one. You good boy. Come here. Good boy. Come here. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well i hope you keep that in that's good yeah he's awesome <laughs> so I, I had my intrusion moment and now so did you but a way way better one with your dog um <laughs> so okay i'll do it again uh i also look forward to playing shit's crazy out here and non-secure connection because uh because i enjoy looking out at some of my poor unsuspecting audience that's not used to this sort of chromatic, dissonant, atonal language and seeing the, the sideways looks they're giving me. You know, you know, nasty letters abound in my world for years because I've continued to sort of push my music and explore different areas. And, and some, some people really don't want you to do that. They want you to sound exactly like you said it at first all through your career. And what a prison that is. And so I've never, I've always said, sorry, <laughs> sorry, just don't come back. Uh, I I hope I hope you like what I'm doing, but if you don't, I, you know, I, I apologize for all my shortcomings. And shit's crazy out here in non secure connection, and also porn hour. Those three from this record, they might leave a mark on the poor unsuspecting. All right, last question, but it's funny as as you talk about those artists who you know evolve and change and all that. Is there one artist that you look to? And you know, we started talking about you working with Leon Russell, but is there one artist that you look to? who was sort of the benchmark for you of being able to evolve and change and grow and 
you know, be able to evolve musically for their whole career? Well, I, the first name that comes to mind is David Byrne. And it's not like I've followed his career so intensely. I don't know every record, but I've just checked in with him from time to time. And I've always liked his never-ending uh, sort of insatiable curiosity and, and just the way he presents his music. This uh, piece he, he did for Broadway, I forget the name, something like Long Last Love. or I'm not sure I have that wrong. But anyway, he, he's a guy that I admire in that way who has never stopped pushing his music. And uh, so that's, that's the name that comes to mind. As far as in the pop world, uh, someone who's continued to do that. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank after David Byrne. I'm sure I'm sure I'll get off the phone with you and go, oh yeah, that guy. But uh, uh, in in the maybe in the jazz world, look, I was always a big fan of Ornette Coleman, but he kind of started off uh, in a sort of uh, more adventurous out direction and just continued to pursue that uh, and take it take it further and further. So I've always admired Ornette in that way. Um, I got to work with him a couple of times, which was so so amazing for me. Uh, so that's one of the special aspects, little known because not so many people in the mainstream really know Ornette, but he's one of the five people who in the history of jazz who changed the music. So that's a name. I'm sure there are lots of them tagged on it. This is kind of pissing me off because I'm, I, 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 I should do, I should know more, but most of my friends who, who, who I, who I see, I know and see a lot, uh, they're, they're not really trying to push it. They're just trying to do something that's very difficult, write a good song and sing it well. And, uh, and that's so that that's enough. I, I understand that. I, and I, they continue to try my singer songwriter friends and, and, and to great effect very often. And that's hard enough for me too, but I'm also interested in the new and the, uh, the adventurous, the, the, the maybe, and sometimes even the crazy. But also, I like to write a simple song, too. I love to write something that's very, uh, very basic. And so, uh, but anyway, that's it. I, I can only name one for you. All right. By the way, the David Byrne show was American Utopia. It bugged me. I just looked it up. Okay. American Utopia. You know, it was one I was talking about that he wrote about Emilda Marcos. And that's a different one. Uh, okay. I, I, can you look that up? Just Google David Byrne, Emelda Marcos. I think it's something like at long last love, something like that. I could probably have it completely off. Are you getting Here anything? Lies love. What's that? Here lies love. Here lies love. Okay, then thank you for correcting me. But that's that's the one I'm thinking. Of. But yeah, American Utopia. I guess that's the thing that he took to Broadway. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, what do you want to add? I did not ask you about. I mean, we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, I can't think of anything right now. I could barely name one adventure, one continually adventurous artist. Uh, and there's the intrusion again. Somebody's really trying to get a hold of me. But my my first wife is in the hospital, having had major back surgery yesterday. So, uh, okay. Well, so. then that's important. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, though. It was it was a real pleasure. And yeah, likewise, man. Thanks for being interested. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to People Have the Power with special guest Bruce Hornsby. Thanks.